When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Starting lineup for that game, given some of the matchups somewhat surprising. The entirety of the news, basically all of today, if you guys are watching or listening live, slash yesterday, if you guys are listening in pod form, totally surprising. There's a ton to get to here, whether it's about this Lakers game or about the goings on around the league or what the Lakers are getting ready to do here in the trade deadline that is moving way too fast and nobody can really keep up with it. There is so much to talk about. Let's on, let's, let's dive on it. We'll start with the game though, as the Lakers lose to the Clippers 120, uh, 127 to 116 was the final, uh, the Clippers, you know, look, they were at basically full strength without Zubots is the only kind of, noticeable or notable uh absent absentee or whatever absence uh the lakers obviously missing lebron james as they are trying to kind of stay ahead of his health for this season uh it was an ankle thing but it was really framed as precautionary here um and look he's been on the trade he's been on the uh injury report all season with you know being questionable for whatever it is a variety of maladies uh, kind of feels like the Lakers and 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 LeBron and Clutch kind of gaming the system so that he can sit in a nationally televised game. But regardless, whatever it is to get him uh, ready and available for the playoffs, that's all that really matters. And and like also to be frank, Rui Hachimura has typically played well enough in LeBron's absences uh, and um, just kind of offering for most of the game, a decent enough fill-in. It's when you get late in the game and you don't have LeBron as the engine to your offense where the Lakers really tend to struggle, and that was the case here tonight. Uh, This one, look, if we just want to look at the numbers, right? If you just just want to look at box scores, AD goes for uh, 26 points, 12 of 20 from the field, 12 boards, a couple assists, no stocks, which is kind of notable for, for AD. Um, without Zubots there, the Clippers really focused on pulling AD away from the basket 
And that was kind of why they were able to score 127. And that's with the scoring really slowing down later in the game. D'Angelo Russell went for 27 points, 10 assists, five boards, did have five turnovers, which is, you know, a little high. Um, he went nine of 21 from the field, four of 10 from three point range, five of six from the free throw line, but did kind of slow down late for the Clippers. You had Kawhi Leonard do Kawhi Leonard things. He goes off for a triple double, 25 points, 11 boards, 10 assists, uh, a couple steals and a block was a game high plus 15 on the night was the best player on the court. The last time the two teams played, LeBron guarded Kawhi and really kind of messed up what the Clippers were trying to do offensively. And then James Harden in this one, um, you know, and I'll talk about the matchups here in a second, but James Harden, 23 points, 10 assists, a steal and a block, was a plus 10, 8 of 17 from the field, 4 of 8 from three-point range, uh, 3 of 5 from the free throw line. The Lakers really struggled to contain him and stop him from either scoring or dishing the ball out to set up other teammates. And I thought that was where that was kind of the, the starting point of their defensive issues um, on a, on an on court level in terms of like matchups, the starters in this one for the Lakers, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, uh, Torian Prince and Anthony Davis. Obviously the order there is a little bit jumbled because of the guys that were out there, you had Austin Reeves guarding James Harden. You had Torian Prince guarding uh, Paul George, and you had Rui Hachimura guarding Kawhi Leonard. None of those matchups are even like slightly in the Lakers' favor. Like, I I don't get uh, the the way that, or, or I don't get not starting. Jared Vanderbilt in this one because of the way that the, the Clippers are made up. Uh, you would want to take out or at least slow up one of James Harden or Paul George in that spot. That was kind of interesting. Uh, Vanderbilt did wind up playing 25 minutes, though I think some of that had to do with Cam Reddish getting hurt with uh, having played 16 minutes in this one. Reddish stepped on uh, James Harden's ankle. And I think that um, I, I really do wish like they're so protective of shooters here, but on that play, Harden clearly stuck his foot out and and Reddish landed on it. That should be a technical foul. They didn't even look at it, um, but regardless, it was just these matchups to start. I just don't understand what the Lakers are trying to do on a game in game out basis. Sometimes they're focusing on continuity. Sometimes they're trying to match up. It doesn't seem like they're matching up at times where it seems more opportune to match up. It doesn't seem like they're trying to remain uh, focus on continuity at times where you have an opportunity to focus on continuity. It's just so jumbled. And, you know, I talked to Jovan Buha about it in the lounge earlier today. Um, and we talked about some of the players' frustrations here. And it's about like the lack of coherence when it comes to fulfilling goals on a night by night basis on a day by day basis. And uh, I thought this game was another example in, in, you know, gets added to a very long list of, all right, this is what, like, it feels like this is a, a game where you match up with the Clippers and you try to make that work. You match up with their physicality, you match up with their athleticism, you match up with all of the wings that they throw at you. And no, the Lakers instead basically run you know, an undersized lineup. And that just, that just kind of lends itself to the strength 
that the Clippers bring uh, bring in. But um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was an interesting game. You know, you also had you know Justin is talking about Darvin's son. It looked like he wasn't going to close, but then he came back with three forty three minutes and forty five uh, left to go in the game. And like yeah, it's just even that. Like, what are you expecting to get out of a player? putting him back in, into a game with less than four minutes to go. Like you're hoping that this player just quickly ramps up, gets like used to the rhythm of the game. And then it, it you know, makes it work, but that wasn't actually how that played out. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting game. It was, I thought a, a, a poor set of decisions that, that led to that gr- starting group. And no, I don't think it was the reason that the Lakers lost, but when you look at the rhythms that, Kawhi, Paul George, and even uh, and especially James Harden had throughout the game. Like, of course they had those rhythms. You you basically get to extend your warm-ups with the guys that are guarding you. Uh, James Harden has a huge size and physicality advantage over Austin Reeves. Paul George has a huge athleticism and uh, length advantage over Torian Prince. Kawhi Leonard has a a just about every advantage offensively over Rui, who was trying to guard him. And like you could say, well, sure, AD is out there. Maybe AD takes Kawhi. You want AD guarding Kawhi at the very beginning of the game, knowing he would have to do that for like, he was going to have to do that at the close of the game too. It was just, um, you know, again, it's it's just, and we'll talk about some of the the, the, the goings on around the league later in the, in the, in the game or later in the show, but, uh, I, again, I just, I just don't think. And Tyron Lou was trying to give praise to Darvin heading into this one. I just don't think Darvin is up to this task, and it just shows that basically every turn and every opportunity he has to make a decision that helps his team, he doesn't, or he, he makes the wrong one. And this was another example of that. I also should point out here that. Austin Reeves, who plays 34 minutes, he finishes with 12 points, 5 of 14 from the field, a couple boards, 5 assists, a couple steals, was a minus 8. Pretty, you know, the the minus 8 kind of falls in line with the rest of the starters. But we are starting to see the types of matchups that Austin struggles with, and it's a lot of the types of teams that the Lakers are going to face here in the playoffs. So if it's like, if it's basically anybody with athleticism and length on the wing or on the perimeter who can guard Austin, he has really struggled in those spots. And on top of that, it looks like there's been a league-wide memo attack this guy. And I remember back at like the uh, during FIBA play, there were a lot of uh, Lakers fans concerned with, or a lot of NBA fans who liked to point out that. Uh, Austin Reeves was getting picked on by other countries that were playing against the uh, team USA. And, you know, a lot of accounts, um, especially those affiliated with the Lakers directly were saying, Oh, it's not, not worth worrying about Austin getting picked on defensively. And uh, he'll do better when he's uh, when he has Anthony Davis to back him up compared to Jaron Jackson jr or the other players that were out there on the court with them. Um, But I do think at this point in the season, we can actually say that teams um, for a couple of reasons 
are really going out of their way to attack Austin. One, he is at a physical disadvantage uh, against basically any elite scorer in the NBA. That's just the reality of the situation. And I don't think Darwin has done enough to, you know, pre-rotate or provide some extra help to Austin in those spots. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, you know, when he was on Team USA, um, if he got played off of the court, fine, whatever. Like Tyrese Halliburton was was playing really well in that one. Anthony Davis or Anthony Edwards was playing really well there as well. With the Lakers, though, if Austin gets played off of the court, that's one of your like three or four best players who you're concerned about defensively. And, you know, he has to play really, really well offensively to make up for it. And um, it's smart that the other, you know, that their opposing teams are doing this basically to make Darwin really think long and hard as we get later in the season, as we get into the postseason about how to provide some support so that Austin doesn't hurt you as much on that defensive side of the ball. And look, I am not going to cape for him. I'm not, I don't know what the kids say. Like, I'm not going to give bail to, to Austin. Uh, I, I do think he does need to be better defensively and he has taken a step back on that side of the court. But I also think that given the amount of length and athleticism and versatility out there on the, the, the Lakers roster, that it shouldn't be this easy to pick on this guy and not have any extra help provided to him via pre-rotations or, you know, mid-play rotations that would kind of, you know, help put a Band-Aid on the issues that that Austin, you know, it, you know that come with playing Austin in these spots offensively. And I understand the frustration, especially as it keeps on. I've been reporting this all along, and it is very widely reported that it would take a superstar for the Lakers to feel comfortable moving Austin Reeves while we do see D'Angelo Russell playing well and uh, his name keeps on getting thrown out there in trade talks. But I also think like if you're going to get angry at the Lakers for holding back on Austin in these negotiations, then you should also wonder why teams are, are want Austin more than they want D'Angelo Russell. And I don't see enough people kind of asking those que or that question as a follow-up to, well, just put Austin in there. Go get DeJounte Murray and have him play next to D'Angelo Russell. Um, Austin is held in higher regard around the league than Russell. And the fact that the Lakers feel the same way about him, I don't think should really surprise anybody. It's because of the contract. It's because I think Austin is a little bit more flexible on the basketball court offensively. I don't think there's a big difference defensively between the two. If Austin wasn't out there, teams would be picking on D'Lo, and teams have historically picked on D'Lo um, in playoff runs to the extent that he has had to be benched uh, by Brooklyn and then by Minnesota and then last year by the Lakers. So this notion that, like, oh, Austin's terrible defensively, he should totally be in these trade talks instead of D'Angelo Russell. I, I don't think you've watched D'Angelo Russell play defense his entire career. So, yeah, I, I just think it's it's where the Lakers currently find themselves. And I know uh, Jesse is asking, what's the latest on Murray? I promise I will get to it later here in the show. But if you're looking at D'Angelo Russell and you're looking at Austin Reeves and you're looking at this game, 
I think it kind of highlighted a lot of the issues with both both players. D'Angelo D'Angelo Russell looked great early in the game, and then when the Clippers' defense really uh, zeroed in on him, struggled. Austin Reeves really struggled throughout the game with the physicality on both ends of the court because the Clippers are like a ton of like incredible athletes cloned to specifically give players like Austin issues out there on the court. And when you don't have LeBron James steering and, and, and being the kind of engine to the defense, the end of that game is, is really going to is, is what those games are going to typically look like. So frustrating game, frustrating loss shouldn't be all that su- surprising. And I do think it's worth, you know, further focusing on Austin and D'Lo as we go into these last couple weeks before the trade deadline. All right. Uh, I, I know that the topic over there on the right says trade deadline latest, and we're going to talk about that. Um, a quick reminder, please do subscribe to the show. Please like this video, get your comments in and all that stuff as well. I appreciate all of that. The channel has really grown of late. We had 500 people watching Yovan and me uh, talk earlier today. So you guys are, have, have been absolutely incredible. Let's keep that thing rolling. But uh, as far as the latest goings on around the league, I can't help but kind of chuckle at TNT and CNN, both Turner uh, products, I believe, um, really kind of fumbling this Doc Rivers report where, so Adrian Griffin gets fired. Apparently, Doc Rivers had been consulting with the Bucks earlier this season and did like the Magic Don- Johnson thing where his like consultation and his advice was like, fire that guy and bring me in. Um, solid advice for job security and job uh, <laughs> promotion uh, by Doc Rivers there. But, uh, uh, you know, so mid-game, you had TNT's broadcast team, Adam Lefko, saying, according to CN- CNN Sports, which I didn't even know still existed, to be frank, uh, according to CNN Sports, Doc Rivers has been named the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And you're looking at it, everybody watching was like, what? Shams hadn't tweeted about it. Woj hadn't tweeted about it. Uh, nobody covering the Bucks had tweeted about it. I had it. No, I'm kidding. Um, like it was, it, it came completely out of nowhere. And, uh, and yet you had TNT still running with it. Fast forward to the end of the, the Lakers game. And you had Chris Haynes, who was employed by Turner saying, yeah, kind of like whispering, like, hey, 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 by the way, there is no actual agreement. And as he's tweeting that report out, you have Candace Parker and, and Jamal Crawford and Shaq and Lefko like talking about Doc Rivers as the new head coach of, of the Bucks. Whole scene's a mess. And uh, how that all played out is something I'm really fascinated by. One funny thing, as I tie this back to the Clippers, over the course of the day, I had been getting texts, whether it was from people who know what I do for a living, and then also some league people wondering, hey, um, there's no chance that the Lakers would like heat Darvin Ham's seat up here now that Doc Rivers might potentially get hired by the Bucks, right? 
And to which I would say, no, I, I don't see, I don't, I haven't heard anything like that. Um, you might get a report like that from like Doc's people to try to up the offer from Milwaukee. Uh, Doc has seen Monty Williams get a record-breaking contract. He has seen Eric Spolstra get a record-breaking contract. And I would imagine he is going to be asking for a record-breaking contract because of the leverage that he has over Milwaukee. And if he doesn't get it, chances are that he might leak. Well, hey, just so you know, because like if you're willing to basically like walk into that organization, like watch Adrian Griffin like drowning basically and can like offer the consultation that like, hey, uh, I think I'm probably better at this than than that guy over there. Um, which may or may not be true. Doc Rivers like clearly puts a ceiling on your organization when he's your head coach. But if you're willing to do all of that, you're probably also willing to turn up the heat on Darvin Ham to uh, to give you a little bit of extra um, leverage in your negotiations with the Bucks. But from what I've been told, I haven't heard any uh, additional pressure on Darvin. Jeannie and Rob still very much believe in him. And that is, frankly, all that matters. Again, Jovan and I talked about Darvin, talked about the situation in Milwaukee, and we talked about the situation with management and Darvin specifically. Um, you can catch that conversation in the lounge from earlier today. Apologies. Um, let's talk about the uh, trade deadline, though. Earlier today... We thought the biggest news of the day was going to be Terry Rogier being traded from the Charlotte Hornets to the Miami Heat. He goes to the Heat for a lottery-protected first in 2027, which becomes fully unprotected in 2028, should it not convey. In 2027, the, uh, the Heat send also uh, Kyle Lowry to Charlotte. Lowry had a big expiring. So it seems like right now the going rate for starting point guards in that ilk of Rogier, uh, Murray, I think is a better player. So they might get, they'll probably get more for him than, uh, than, than Charlotte got for Rogier. Brogdon also in that kind of grouping as well. A lot of people are starting to try to lump Tyus Jones into that grouping. I wouldn't necessarily put him there quite yet. I think he's been a very, very, very good. He's overqualified, I think to be your backup point guard. I think he's underqualified to be a starting point guard on a good team. So I wouldn't quite lump him in there. I wouldn't give up a first rounder for Tyus Jones personally. So it, it, even though I know Washington is, is, is hoping to receive one for him. Um, and, and yeah, so what I've been told as it pertains to the Lakers after the Rozier deal, one the Lakers and I think teams around the NBA, and this isn't like this isn't uh, specifically reporting about the Lakers. I'm saying, you know, people I've talked to around the league <clears throat> who work for various teams have all said, yet yeah, this trade deadline is moving way too fast. Like the the OG and Anobi trade happened weeks ago. Pascal Siakam, he gets traded last week. Terry Rozier gets traded now. There are a couple, like two, two weeks and a half to go before the deadline. And I think teams around the league are kind of like, what? <laughs> we don't normally start making these, like, like having actual serious conversations 
to like next week sometime. What are we doing? Making like decisions now. And, and, uh, and I, you know, so the, the reaction around the league was kind of like, come on, can we slow down a little bit? But I do think that this is, this might be the new norm, at least for this season where you have so many teams. Jovan made this point again on in the lounge earlier today. Uh, you have so many buyers and you have so few sellers that those buyers are basically saying, look, we could hold out and maybe get some extra protection on that first round pick that we are sending out. Or we could hold on to like an extra prospect here or there or something like that. Or we could find ourselves on the outside looking in and not able to make the additions to our roster that we have to make. And, uh, and I think those buyers are taking advantage of that where they can set a higher price and they can know, yes, yeah, somebody's probably going to be desperate enough to, to meet that price. Now, I think Rozier is a great fit for Miami. He's going to like, I think he's going to do really, really well there. I'm a little nervous about how small their backcourt is in, in, in Miami, but Eric Spolster is such a great coach that I think he'll find a way to kind of paint over some of those issues. Um, as it pertains to the Lakers though, if you're the Hawks, you basically say, all right, Rogier's two years older than Murray has more, uh, has some injury stuff in his background. He got a pick that could be unprotected in 2028 and a big expiring to offer us some financial flexibility on a team that we know isn't going anywhere and a core that we know isn't going anywhere. You're going to have to raise the, the, the cost that was the price of the brick just went up. Right. And um, now the issue with their stance being that is just based off of leaks and based off of some of the whispers I'm hearing out there, they haven't been over the moon about some of the trades that, that the offers that they've been getting, outside of what the Lakers have offered with D'Angelo Russell. And uh, and I think as a result of that, you've seen them leak. Hey, by the way, Milwaukee came calling. I think they were probably a little pissed that the Sixers keep on signaling that they aren't in the DeJounte Murray sweepstakes. Um, the Knicks already have a bunch of small guards, and I think their focus right now is Bruce Brown. So there just aren't very many offers right now for Murray. And I think from the Lakers' perspective, it makes some sense to keep on pushing D'Angelo Russell as the centerpiece of this trade. So long as you can find a third team willing to take him on. So in terms of like the latest on Murray, it's very much the same stuff. The Lakers are just kind of waiting They're They're, they're talking to teams <clears throat> and preferably teams that they have spoken to previously. Uh, so Washington fits this bill. They made a trade last year with Orlando, the Mobamba deal. Um, you know, the Clippers have also helped with a trade in the past as well. So like asking around, Hey, what would it take for you to take on Brooklyn? Uh, they haven't made a trade with Brooklyn specifically, but the nice thing with Brooklyn is they've had D'Angelo Russell in their building before and enjoyed the D'Angelo Russell experience, uh, where he helped them make the playoffs, uh, kind of unexpectedly while he was there. So the Lakers essentially are talking to all these teams. Hey, what would it take for you to take on D'Angelo Russell's deal? He has that player option for next year. If he keeps on playing the way that he's playing, he's probably going to opt out anyway. So if you're looking for financial flexibility, you can still potentially get it uh, if you don't if you aren't if you aren't feeling comfortable uh, paying him this next offseason. 
And uh, for the Lakers, you know, it's just a matter of waiting until some team says yes. And because Atlanta isn't getting offers that are, that are blowing them away, the Lakers can continue to wait. Um, Tony PR asks a good question. What's plan B? Well, plan B was, <laughs> was just traded to Charlotte. <laughs> um, it, that, that is, uh, that's the reality of the situation here is that the Lakers were talking to uh, Charlotte about Rozier. Rozier was, or uh, Charlotte was asking for that 2029 first round pick, but the Lakers were reluctant to include it until they found out or until they learned or got you know proper intel that they aren't going to be able to land Murray. So as it stands right now, Plan B is currently a member of the Miami Heat. Plan B now, I guess Plan C before, now becomes Plan B, and that's, I think, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, they have called Portland about him. Portland is also uh, asking for a first-rounder for Malcolm Brogdon. He has this year and next year remaining on his contract. And, uh, you know, he has, I think, 40. So between this year and next year, I think he's making 45 million bucks. So he has another year on it for 22 and a half million bucks next year. The Lakers in that instance, like you could technically, I guess, trade uh, Gabe Vincent and like Rui. Cause I don't, uh, Portland from what I've been told is not interested in D'Angelo Russell. So if you send out Vincent and Rui, maybe Jalen Huchifino, and uh, you see what kind of protections you can put on that, excuse me, that uh, 2029 pick. If Murray doesn't pan out, uh, then you could see what goes on there. But I don't think the Lakers are interested in trading 2029, that, that, that first round pick in 2029 for uh, Malcolm Brogdon. So that's where, like, if things fully fall through with Murray, they would start up those conversations with Portland and I don't think that they would move that 29 first uh, for Brogdon, not just because like I don't, I, I wouldn't do that either. But on top of that, they would look at the opportunity cost and say, well, if we move 29 for Brogdon, that means we only have two first rounders to potentially move this upcoming offseason. And I think they would rather hold on to that third first round pick to see what kind of player they can get on draft night this year compared to, you know, a marginal and by the way, injury prone upgrade with, with Brogdon. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see there. They uh, apparently Mc, uh, Dave McMenamin and Adrian Wojnarowski have been reporting that the Lakers have been in talks with Toronto for Bruce Brown. Uh, that is an interesting fit. If they do that, I would hope that it would be Trent's deal going out the door and not Russell's because I think uh, Brown is a lot of things, but I wouldn't consider him a primary ball handler. And if you're trading D'Angelo Russell, I think you have to bring back a primary ball handler, given what we've seen from Austin this year. So uh, that is another thing that the Lakers are looking at doing. Um, they are already kind of, they, they, I, I don't think we'll get a decision on this, you know, in, in, in the near future, but they are kind of looking over at Charlotte just to see like, all right, you got Lowry, you got Hayward, like you're going to start buying these guys out. Can we get those guys in and sooner rather than later? Um, those are things that they're going to be looking at as well. Uh, I also would probably predict uh, that they find a home for Jackson Hayes, not just because they wouldn't want to pay or be on the hook for that, um, 
that second year player option that for some reason they offered him, uh, but also to open up a roster spot and maybe use that roster spot on, you know, I, I think they already have uh, their eye on Gordon Hayward and they're, they're, they're looking for that. But I think they would also like to have an extra roster spot for Kyle Lowry. And if they're able to do all of this and duck far enough under the luxury tax to bring those guys in after their trade activity and stay under that luxury tax and re and, and, and reset their repeater tax, then I think they would consider that kind of the best financial outcome here. Maybe not the best personnel outcome, but the best financial one. So we'll see uh, what, what all of that looks like as it, as it comes into clear review. But I do think, and my last kind of macro takeaway here, I've already said it on the show, is with how quickly this trade deadline has been moving, the Lakers are very cognizant of, oh, shit. All right. I guess we don't have Rozier as an option anymore. And as more point guards maybe potentially leave the market, they don't want to be left on the outside looking in um, because I think they're reluctant to really rely on D'Angelo Russell. At the end of last year, there was some question about like his availability down the home stretch when the Lakers were fighting to get into the playoffs. They saw him get played off of the court in the Western Conference Finals. Yes, we have seen him reach some pretty high highs of late, but we've also seen him over the course of the season hit some pretty low lows. And I don't think anybody in the Lakers organization believes he's going to keep playing like this here moving forward. And there is some real question as far as whether he'll be able to remain playable throughout a playoff series, given what we've seen from him throughout his career, not just as a Laker last year, but throughout his career. So, um, and on top of all of those things, he has a player option. And so if you miss these opportunities to bring in a Brogdon and bring in a Jajante Murray, and then you have D'Angelo Russell potentially opt out and become an unrestricted free agent this next year, you lose that asset for nothing. So I, I do think that it, it it is still more likely than not that Russell is not a Laker after this trade deadline. And, and it's for all of the reasons that I listed. So again, <clears throat> there's a lot going on here. The Lakers have a, a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of assets and concepts that they're juggling, and a lot of paths ahead of them that provide them different options. But as it stands right now, I I do think that the amount of noise about what the Lakers are, are considering doing, and I'm told that they resumed those talks with the Hawks over the the last few days or so. I do think the amount of noise of what the Lakers are getting ready to do is probably going to, to hit an uptick over here over the next few days. I have a couple seconds here uh, before we get up out of here, so I'll go ahead and, and scan these comments to see what other questions we have here. I answered about the latest on Murray. I whoop, Let's see. <clears throat> Brandon um, Oameng, I think I said that right. Uh, starting lineup makes no sense at all. All offense, no defense, all on the bench. Also, what's going on with Reeves? I do think that like teams have kind of figured out how to really affect him, and it's with physicality, it's with athleticism, it's with size on the perimeter, and and I think he's going to have to learn to find a way 
to get through those things. And, and I think, and this is why, you know, D'Angelo Russell or bringing in a player who can be your primary ball handler is so important for Reeves because if Reeves is your like third best player out there, there's a bit of a, a ceiling there, I think, offensively because of how he gets impacted by defense that is that physical and that focused on him all game long. But if you have him as like your, you know, your, your, your kind of fourth option who wavers anywhere from second to fourth option over the course of a game, maybe even sometimes a primary option, uh, that is where, you know, the Lakers, I think, feel a little bit more comfortable with Austin right now at this stage of his career. And and I think I would probably agree with that. Um, let's go here. Average dad. Can Rui be moved in a trade for Bruce Brown, especially if they think they can get, get Gordon Hayward? That's a great point um, as far as like if the Lakers. And now look, I'm not going to um, get anybody in trouble here, but these conversations take place where you do some back channeling and you kind of wonder, all right, if if Hayward gets bought out, how likely is it? What is it he's looking for? Is he, is he looking for opportunity? Is he looking for extra money? Is he looking for an opportunity to win? Like, what are the things that he's looking for? And if the Lakers do get positive intel and they think that they're going to be able to land uh, Hayward, then that maybe frees up or, or maybe makes you a little bit more willing to move one of your wings, whether it's uh, Reddish, whether it's Rui, whether it's Prince, whoever it might be. Um, if you find out that, yeah, it looks like Hayward might be coming or, or could really be coming, and I, I, I don't have any uh, anything on that right now, then, yeah, I do think it makes some sense to go out and turn Rui, who isn't a big part of this rotation right now, into uh, somebody like Bruce Brown, who would be a bigger part of that, and I think does provide some stuff at a position that the Lakers are at a real need for, because Darwin doesn't want to rely on Max Christie. Um, again, Kevin uh, Reeves is trash, and they believe in him. A, I don't think Reeves is trash, and B, it's not just the basketball here. Like every time I talk about trades and all of these things, it's not just the basketball. The assets really matter. The contract numbers really matter. Because they allow you to go and do other things elsewhere on your on your books, because you have Reeves on a on a value contract, and if you turn Reeves into like Malcolm Brogdon, which I think is like a you could maybe say a slide upgrade, but is probably more of a lateral step anyway. And the 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 crux of that trade is like yeah, you turned Reeves at twelve million bucks into Malcolm Brogdon at. 20 million bucks, that's $10 million on your books that you don't get to use on other player. So that like when you ask, when people have these conversations about Austin and ignore the contract aspect of this, I, I, I tend to get a little annoyed, even granting that I do think that Austin's season this year for a variety of reasons has been somewhat disappointing. Uh, why didn't Wood play the entire fourth quarter? Just curious. Asking me to explain what Darvin Ham does is like asking me to explain what is on my one-year-old's mind. <laughs> that's just that's just where we kind of find ourselves. Uh, Lakers Nation, can D'Lo be extended right now? If so, I say extend him on a three-four 
team-friendly contract and just take it from there? Well, that requires him to be interested in doing in that doing that too. And one of the things that Jovan and I talked about today is what his like would he feel any reluctance towards doing that given how things have gone between him and the organization prior. I wouldn't hold it against him for saying, wait, you traded me once. You brought me back on a bit of a discount. <laughs> you, after you brought me back on that discount, you tried to trade me imme immediately after bringing me back on that bit of a discount. You've tried to trade me all year. Um, in an interview that he had with Chris Haynes earlier tonight, he called his name being out there in trade talks humiliation. So, it requires him being interested in signing that team friendly deal, which I don't think he would be particularly interested in doing. And, and then on top of that too, is like, do you really want to commit to D'Angelo Russell? Like, I know that he is playing really well right now, but I have also watched the chasms between the peaks and they're terrifying. And if they happen as they did last year in the playoffs, you have a 20 ish million dollar player who was not playing. Again, I, I like D'Angelo Russell. I am legitimately rooting for this guy. But last year in the playoffs, he was not playable. And the opposing coach in the Western Conference Finals announced it at the beginning of the series. He was like, yeah, we're going to take this guy out of the series, and it's just not going to happen. Or, or, or this guy impacting the series is just not going to happen. And guess what wound up? Like, guess how that wound up playing out? So... I understand where people are coming from, but I am also nervous to commit to this guy here moving forward because those valleys in between those peaks are pretty freaking bad. Um, George, are there arguments going on behind the scenes on hams, lineups, and rotations? All right. I got to be careful here because last time I reported or said anything about comments that were going on in the locker room, I had that kind of taken out of context. I'm going to show that again just so people know what I'm talking about. All right. There is and has been frustration between players and Darvin Ham all season long. And players in that locker room feel Darvin is too confident because of the amount of support he has from Rob Polinka and Jeannie Buss. And... Because of that amount of confidence, I think that has impacted his communication levels with some players, and that's why you had the leaks coming out as they came out when I reported it and then when The Athletic reported it a little bit afterward. And um, to like put a bow on all of that, and Jovan has made this point, Raj has made this point, I have made this point, when all of that noise was at its absolute loudest, when you had report after report after report coming out about Darwin and the job that he was doing and how poor a job he was doing. You had exactly zero players come out and say, Nope, this is cap. Nope. This is not true. Fake news. Any of like whatever favorite phrase you want to use here, right? None of that ever happened. The only leaks that we got from the organization were from Jeannie and Rob saying that they believed in their guy. I think that's very telling because the locker room, like remember it was the, it was the Memphis game 
that their coach got kicked out of and and his coach his name is kind of uh I'm it's slipping by me right now. Memphis Grizzlies head coach. Uh Taylor Jenkins, right? Taylor Jenkins runs out onto the court so far that he ran out to the court. He bumped into Torian Prince and should have been ejected. Like was held back. I have never seen a coach do any of those things and not get ejected. And then when his players were asked about it after the fact, they were like, nope, Taylor's our guy. We would run through walls for this dude. He has been nothing but supportive of us, and we are going to do nothing but support this guy. You've seen that with, with like, around the league where um, the, 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 uh, the coach for Darko from Toronto had his quotes, and his guy loved every second of his quotes and, and would now go out and, and – fight all kinds of battles for him. And yet at no point this year, have we gotten any kind of statement from the, from Lakers players saying like, Oh yeah, no, everything's great here. All these reports are just noise. It's all stupid. No, it's not happened. We got, we got responses from Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell today um, in response to like all of the Zapruder film study on their body language against Portland. And we got that and they made, they made sure to clarify that. But they have at no point clarified or and, and, and even if it was like on topic, if they were asked about any of those things, it was like, oh, you, you know, I think LeBron's response to it was that he's trying. Darwin is trying. And that's about it. So when we talk about like, are there arguments behind the scenes? Yes, there are. Uh, because there are even and even the best of circumstances, like in professional sports where you have like all of that machismo and, and all of those alphas and, and, and like type a personalities, um, you know, competing against other teams and competing in some cases with each other for opportunity, you're going to have emotions raised. So that's like, that's what happens under the best of circumstances in a spot like this, where players are pretty annoyed and frustrated with the way that they've been coached this year. Yeah. I would imagine you've gotten some of that as well, or even worse, if you haven't, that's apathy, and I would rather have the people hashing it out versus eh, whatever. He's still there. All right. Uh, I think that is uh, going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown Podcast. Shouts to everybody who would continue to uh, come out and support us. I really, really appreciate it. Please do hit that subscribe button right underneath this video. Like this video. Like all of our videos. All of that. Comment away. Um, and, 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 and participate in the show. We have another fun one tomorrow as Brad Rowland of locked on Hawks is going to come on here and try to explain to me why the Hawks are doing any of the things that they're doing. So you're going to want to tune for tune in for that. And then Thursday, we have a fun episode with Jake Fisher of Yahoo sports, who always has a ton of great Intel as well. And then Friday we'll do the, uh, happy hour to round out the week. So until then, and until the next time you guys hear from us, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's, and I will talk to you on Yana. Hopefully for the first.